I'm really thankful to be here because, uh, well, a lot of things, but um, this is our sending church. We've been in Indiana 17 years now working with CE National, and uh, you guys pray for us and financially support us and partner with us in ministry. Uh, in fact, four of your own uh, were a part of Operation Barnabas this last summer. Uh, Cameron was on our team. You drew the short stick and got stuck with us. Sorry about that, buddy. Uh, Taylor as well, and then Jonathan, uh, as well as then Abby. So four this last year, and the two coming this year, uh, Jared, as well as uh, Matthew. So uh, we've got a good contingency in recent years, and we're grateful for the opportunity to work with these students. I don't know if you know this or not, but we send out an international team uh, that actually meets here for its orientation here for a few days uh, each June. And uh, it's during the middle of the week, so they don't get to be around much on the Sunday as they head off to the Philippines for three weeks. But Paula Hughes does a great job in uh, coordinating that for us, and we're very, very grateful. Uh, I also think about being grateful to be back here because this is where I met my wife. Uh, literally, like right in front of that stained glass right over there. And uh, if you're single and want to meet somebody, can I encourage you after the service to just kind of congregate there? It worked for me, okay? That's just the way it worked. Uh, got married, it'll be 22 years ago in April, right here. <laughs> so this is a spot. We dedicated our eldest Becca to the Lord right over on this side of the stage. And of course, many uh, friendships and connections with the church family here. Have to give a special shout out to my Bible quiz coaches and stuff from Norwalk, California. That was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? I was in fifth grade. That was about... 12 years ago, 14 years ago now, something like that. That's good. Uh, my wife, Dana, grew up in this church. Um, she is substitute teaching back in Indiana, something she's doing, but she is primarily mentoring and discipling high school girls and college gals, and uh, that's been a, a neat blessing and a neat ministry. Uh, she toured this summer. Uh, we both did leading a tour, uh, and that was the 12th time that she's gone out uh, with teaching high school students evangelism ministry. And everybody says, you know, are you getting a little too old for this? You know, is it hard sleeping on the ground? And she says, no, I sleep just fine. It's getting up in the morning that's a bit of the problem. So uh, Becca, our eldest, was out here a year ago. She finished high school a little bit early. Loved being out here during the spring, but uh, Lord called her to be back at Grace College and to complete a degree in youth ministry. Uh, but figure two years from now, once she graduates, to be right back here because she loves you guys and you took good care of her and that was neat. Uh, Nick is our 15-year-old. He's a freshman in high school, uh, played tennis this last year. But the neat thing about Nick uh, is that this last summer uh, at the Momentum Youth Conference, he made a personal decision to follow Jesus with his life. Now, he did that when he was younger. So was this a reaffirmation or first time? God sorts those things out. But in his heart, he determined that I want to follow Jesus with my life. So as a family, we're very blessed and very pleased. Um, this is where the funny stuff uh, comes in. Uh, Becca took a picture of Nick when he was three, and she was about seven, and she was scanning them in, and she submitted it to Jones Soda this year, and they chose it, actually. Um, Nick is the poster boy for the sugar plum soda for Jones Soda when he was three. He's wearing this um, Rudolph nose and antlers, and Becca's name's on here. No, there was no financial reimbursement for using that, but uh, it's just kind of funny if you want to see her go online. They describe it as a terrible tasting soda, so don't get excited or anything about that, but that's our little boy. And then uh, we have prayer cards in the back if you'd be interested. Thanks again for supporting us, being part of our team financially and in prayer, and uh, again, we are blessed to call this our sending church. Uh, as we come back to Southern California annually, um, I got to admit, uh, coming back, maybe it's this time of year especially, uh, but I love coming back to California because 
Um, don't think me too weird. I love working on lawns and landscape and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so when you come back, you know, in January, February around here, things are getting rolling. And some of you are like, hey, if you like it so much, come on over this afternoon. But uh, you don't get to do it but six months of the year in Indiana. But coming here, I enjoy it. I learned that from my dad. My dad was a perfectionist, a perfectionist with his lawns. In fact, he was such a perfectionist, he let me mow the lawn one time as a high school student, and I skinned it a little too close to the bricks, done, cut off. He would let me sweep up. Oh, isn't that just a blessing, you know? I never got to work on it. So once I have my own place in Indiana, I love that. It's great. I learned that from my dad. My mom is from England. In fact, if you were uh, to hear her speak, you would say, oh, she has quite an accent. And I have to say, oh, yeah, I guess she does, because I just don't hear it anymore. But uh, I learned all kinds of pithy English sayings from her. I even use some of them still. Uh, But what I really learned from my mom was how to set a table. You know, all those forks and knives all over the place. I know where those go and why even. It's kind of pathetic, isn't it? Let's be honest. But I have learned to imitate some characteristics and habits of my parents, landscaping, setting the table, whatever it might be. As I was thinking about this idea of imitation, I literally remember the very first commercial I ever saw on television. Uh, I went searching on YouTube and I found it. And so I thought, let's take a minute and take a look. This is the first commercial that I remember. Like father, like son. Anybody remember that commercial from the 1960s? Okay, a few of us, okay. Uh, it was, that truly was the first commercial I ever remember. Uh, maybe you can think of someone that in some way you imitate. Uh, maybe it's you follow a certain sport because of them. Maybe you enjoy a hobby. Uh, maybe it's a career choice. I don't know. But I think that God's word says something about this concept, this idea of imitation as well. If you grab your Bible, please. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at those first 17 verses of that chapter together. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And in reverence to the word of God, would you please stand with me as we read this passage of scripture together? Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children... And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. 
No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that it gives, the light that it is to our life. Father, as we look at this, may your spirit have free reign in our hearts to convict us where it needs to be convicted, to be encouraged where, God, we're we're living as you would have us live for your honor and glory. Father, help us to realize this comes through the power of your spirit and not through our own, but we ask him and we invite him to come. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are to imitate God by living a life of love and a life of light. And if there is one thing that I would hope that you would remember at the end of our time together as you go out and have your week, it would be that concept that God wants us to imitate him by living a life of love and living a life of light. Now turn to the person next to you and say, you need to live a life of love. Go ahead, tell them that right now. Turn to the person on the other side and say, you really need to live a life of light. Absolutely. Go back to the first person and say, you look great. Did you do something with your hair today? Go ahead. That's great. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Very good. Well, one thing I was looking at as I was preparing, as I was going through these scriptures and talking about the idea, the issue of imitating God, here was my thought as I got to the part of living a life of love. This is what I thought, and I wrote it down. I think that I think that I live a life of love, but when I really think about it, I don't think that I do. Let me say it again. I think that I think I live a life of love, but when I really think about it, I don't think that I do. Well, as we look at this passage, we obviously saw that we are to imitate God Well, and that therefore refers back to probably those last couple verses in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every kind of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave us. That's how we are supposed to imitate God. And we are uh, supposed to be that imitator of God. So I started thinking about this concept. How is it that God loves Well, today is the big game. Uh, Unfortunately, my Steelers are not in it, so I have an open afternoon, so I can help you with your gardening. Uh, But as I think about football games, I think about the famous sign that you've seen held up for years, and it says John 3.16. You'll see that there. 
Uh, why don't you say that with me? Because I think this is absolutely, in a nutshell, the demonstration of how God absolutely loves us. It says what? For God so loved the world that he gave one son that whoever leaves in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That message, that truth, that the God of the universe first loved me by sending his son, the Lord Jesus, to live a perfect life on this earth and to go ahead and go to the cross and take all the wrong that we have ever done and to be crucified there in a horrible way and to die and to go to the grave for three days and then to be resurrected and now to live in the right hand of the Father. And if we say, I believe you did that for me, I give the wrong that I have done, the Bible calls sin, I give that to you so that you will be the Lord of my life and I follow you. We have a relationship with God, an incredible thought, that that is how God loved us through his son. At CE National, we keep talking about our purpose, and we want churches, we want believers to live lives that are on mission. Well, what is that mission? It is to let a lost and dying world know that that is the message of truth that God first loved. And our God wants to be about redeeming people. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, verse 17. But then I look back and I think, okay, so how is it that Jesus actually loved when he was here on this earth? As I run through the New Testament, I look at the Gospels, I I see that he helped the overlooked. He helped the poor. He helped the widow. He helped the sick. Jesus is one who had compassion on people. In fact, two times he fed the multitudes. One time a primarily Jewish audience. Another time a primarily Gentile audience. So all people reaches out to. Jesus loved by spending time with people that didn't know God yet. Talk about godless people. And the interesting thing by comparison is that his harshest criticisms were about the religious people of that day. We don't have time during our sermon time today to look at Matthew chapter 23, but if you want to see it, you look at the seven woes of that passage in Matthew 23, and they were to the religious people. The woes, look out for this. Jesus loved his father. So we have this example of God first loving us. We have the example of Jesus in the scriptures and how he lived his life. And I wonder if Jesus walked the earth today, how he would respond to the needs of the world. I wonder how he would respond to the needs in Haiti, to the needs in Japan, other needs around the world. And I ask myself even, do I do anything even to help there? Do I love like Jesus loves? Well, not only is Jesus an example of living a life of love that we find in the scriptures, but I think there are people all around us who are examples of people who just live a life of love. And I'm not talking about those who just uh, love their families. That's good, but they go beyond that. And I'm not even just talking about those who love their friends, but they love other people for what they can do. They serve Jesus by doing things for people and for the Lord because it's their service to him. As I was thinking and preparing about this, You have to understand that my wife, Dana, became a follower of Jesus when she was in middle school because of the ministry of this church. She went up to Hume Lake as a middle schooler, being a good girl, but not a personal relationship with Jesus. And as she went up there, she heard the truth of the gospel and responded. And when she came back, she came to this church by herself. Her family did not attend this church. And she was very much adopted by Grace Church of Orange. So when I say it's a privilege to be here, I see what this church family has done for my wife and the influence my wife has had on others because of the influence that people have had on her from here. I think about four specific ladies, and I'm sure there are more. 
But I think about Barbara Carades, who first mentored my wife when she was brand new in the faith. I think about Melody Manthorn, that every time I see her, she gives me a hug and goes, how's my girl? And I, I think she's asking about Dana. I don't think she's talking about me. And, and she cares about my wife because she treats her as one of her own, because she lived life of what it means to be a godly mom, a godly wife in front of my wife. That marked my wife for years. It's still paying dividends. I was cleaning out the basement uh, a couple, couple years ago, I guess now, and uh, came across some old books that been written in. And I said, can we get rid of these? Dana's like, no, those are my two seven books that Nancy Lordson went over with my wife, the Navigator series. And you know, getting deep into the scriptures and what that looks like, Nancy's life has marked Dana's life in an incredible way. I think about Cindy Holbrook, who took a bunch of girls under her wing and taught them what it means to minister to children, to work in the nursery. And my wife still does that today in, in numerous situations. I think about those four ladies who loved, I think, like Jesus loved. And it marked my wife. And now Dana has able to have that impact in a greater way from Indiana that impacts the nation, impacts the world. Because sometimes we get this attitude, well, you know, what good can I do? An awful lot when we're obedient to Ephesians chapter 5 that we love like Jesus loves. We love like God loves. So I am indebted, greatly indebted to this congregation and for what it means to my personal family, but through the ministry as well in which we're involved. Well, we could talk about this passage in these first couple verses and look specifically at the fragrant offering and the sacrifice. That probably refers back to Leviticus chapters 1 to 5, but rather than go there and looking at it from the Old Testament perspective, I'd rather make it really practical, I hope, with an analogy. Here it is. How is it that my wife knows that I love her? Well, hopefully it is by what I say. Well, I want to talk to her. Even though we're states away, we still try and take time each day to talk to each other. Or text. I think it's the same. She doesn't. But, you know, it it counts, all right? I want to spend time with her. I want to talk about Dana. You don't have to be around me a really long time before you know that I'm married. Well, why is that? Because Dana is going to come up in our conversation. I want other people uh, to know about my wife because she's important to me. Well, Jesus always talked about his relationship with his father. He talked about that a lot. Do I talk about my relationship with my heavenly father? Is it an overflow of my heart because it's a response of his love to me? We try and work with our Operation Barma students and others, whether it's at Urban Hope in Philadelphia or other places, by encouraging them to use God talk, uh, to bring up the words church, to bring up Bible, to bring up Jesus, God, whatever it might be, that there might be some kind of a conversation to be able to talk because that's a relationship that is important. Facebook is an, an amazing medium uh, and so working with college students like I do, I'm on that a lot and texting Uh, But what I am intrigued by a lot of times is what is posted there and that some folks use that as a medium to express their heart and you can see their relationship with God come out in that. And yet there are others I look at and I think, okay, they say they're a believer, but I never see anything about a relationship with Jesus ever mentioned. I think, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. 
when we had our OBI orientation here a couple years ago, I came out for it, and uh, we took the students over to Westminster area and went to one of the Asian malls because we wanted them to run shoulders and be able to have conversations and ask questions and, uh, and then take off for the Philippines for three weeks to do ministry there. And as uh, Dave, the leader, and I uh, kind of hung out together and walked around for an hour and a half, uh, we saw in front of the, uh, the Buddha there, they're burning some incense or whatnot, there were two ladies on their knees and they were flipping coins. Like, what is this about? So Dave and I watch, and they get done as they're walking by. We said, excuse me, can you tell us what this is all about? Because we've never seen anything like this before. And they said, oh, well, you take two dimes, and you flip them, and uh, if they both end up heads, then that's good luck. You put them in your pocket, and you've got good luck the rest of the week. I didn't know that. I was just... Because we've got to keep in mind, when we talk about Jesus because of that whole love thing, him loving us and, and us loving him and that spilling over in our conversation. It's not a presentation, it is a conversation. We're not shoving anything down anyone's throat, but at some point we have to talk about Jesus for them to know the truth that will set them free. So we start talking with these ladies and all well, the reason we're here is because with these students, they're going to the Philippines. Then the reply was, well, why are they going to the Philippines? And so we get to branch out and talk about the difference Jesus makes. It was a very, very enjoyable, easy conversation. I think about uh, coming out here, flying out of O'Hare. You can never pick a different airport, do. Uh, but they had three areas to get you through, and, uh, and then, you know, you run to your, your gate because you're late. And they closed all that down to one one station, and people are getting really nervous, all right? I ran and made it, but I was sweating for the next 40 minutes in the plane. But as we're there, uh, there's a guy trying to get back to Toronto. He's had a long week, and so, you know, you, you kind of commiserate together in those situations, and you're taking shoes off, and you're getting undressed and doing all these things. And as the conversation, you know, what do you do? Why are you here? And it's just easy to say, you know, I'm involved in a church encouragement ministry, and it started some conversation, and, uh, and he says, I bet you have to carry a lot of stuff with you, huh? And I don't know if the Spirit prompted that, but a light bulb goes on my mind, and I thought, I brought a book by Mark Cahill, who uh, we've used at our youth conference. Mark and I get confused as twins because he's 6'9", played basketball at Auburn, was a co-teammate of Charles Barkley, but uh, we've worked together a little bit, and so I had his book uh, about what happens after you take your final breath on this earth. And so after we're getting back dressed, I see this guy and I said, hey, you know, you asked me about that. I said, have you gotten one of these? He goes, what is it? I said, it was written by a friend of mine. And do you like to read? And he goes, yeah. And so he goes, thanks. He thanked me for giving this book. What did the Lord do with it? I have no idea. But I know that the name of Jesus is going to be proclaimed because the guy loves to read and he's going to thumb through it. Is it going to make a difference in his life? Is he going to leave it on the plane to somebody else? But I, I don't know. But man, there is fun when you get to talk about Jesus because he first loved us and our response to be able to talk about him, live a life of love is what Ephesians 5 is talking about. There's no greater way to live in that. Well, as we continue on through this passage, you'll see that not only do we want to um, show love by what we say, we also want to show love by what we do. And that would be true with my relationship with my wife. It's not just what I say, it's also what I do. So it's not just living a life of love, it's living a life of light. So turn to the person next to you and say, live a life of light. Go ahead, do that right now. And again, at the end, I hope you remember, live a life of love and live a life of light. Now, I want to make this perfectly clear. Uh, we are not talking about a works salvation 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, right before this, chapters before, is very clear that the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ himself is because of grace through faith. It is not by what we do that we attain. It is about him and what he has done for us. But we often forget that the idea of verse 10 follows right after. That the idea that we have that relationship, that he has saved us, because verse 10 goes on to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So people have gotten that confused for centuries and centuries. And the idea that we have to earn our salvation, no, we don't earn our salvation, but because we have a relationship with Jesus, it should cause us to live in light. And it goes on in the rest of the chapter to talk about what that means to live in light. Well, let's start in verse 3. Let's take a look at some of these things. A true follower of Jesus who has a love relationship with him lives a certain way. Not for acceptance, but because there's a love relationship. Verse 3 says, Among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed. These are improper for God's holy people. There shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Those things are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. As you look at that verse 3, as I looked at it, I said, how do those things fit together? Immorality, impurity, greed. Uh, The reason they do go together is because they are all wanting things that are not theirs. It kind of reminds one of 1 John chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that same kind of concept. And it's alluded here, rather than living, as verse 3 says, we are supposed to live as holy ones, as set-apart ones, as saints, if you will. In the Old Testament, you had uh, those who would take a Nazarite vow. Probably Samson may be the most well-known of those that took a Nazarite vow. And you might remember the story. Uh, Nothing to do with the vine. uh, Couldn't touch any dead thing. Couldn't cut their hair. Um, It was an outward sign of being set apart for God's use. Well, I don't think that's what's being described here in this passage. I think what's being described here is the idea it is an inward separation, an inward holiness, that we live in such a way that it shows our love for Christ and his for us shines out and is manifest that way. So it's not so much an outward, an outward idea of being set apart, but an inward idea. This passage is being set apart and being different from the world, specifically on the inside versus the outside. See, as you look at verses 4 to 6, everything we do should match up with living like a child of the king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's really where living is. Unfortunately, this lifestyle is way too prevalent in our society that... Um, will say, oh, I'm a Christian, and then live completely opposite. Some of the strongest words of Scripture are mentioned here, and it scares me. It scares me in a good way. It scares me in a good way to go, that can't be the way that I live. That's a good thing, a good warning. But it also scares me that there are people who think that they're on their way to heaven because they go to a church, because they give money, or because they do this or do that. I uh, remember talking with a young man this summer, at our youth conference at uh, Johnstown. They're having a wrestling camp. And uh, these guys are pretty good. They're going to go to the national tournament in South Dakota. And as I had conversation with them, I said, you know, what do you think happens after you take your final breath? And the one goes, oh, I know where you're going with this, about heaven, right? I said, well, 
okay. And he goes, I know why I'm going to heaven. And I said, why is that? And he said, just this morning, I held a door open for a lady at Walmart. And the other wrestler started to laugh at him. And I looked at him and smiled and I said, you really want to make that your final answer? And he did. See, there are things that he thought would make him right with God. Well, again, we're not talking about doing things that save us, but because we have a relationship with Jesus, because of responding to his love, living in love, that we are to live a certain way. See, the Spirit of God convicts us of sin. And when there is no conviction of sin, you have to ask the question, where's the Spirit of God then? Jesus said, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and small is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few will find it. Now, this is really easy to go ahead and start thinking about other people, to go ahead and think about that person I know and this person, but I want to intentionally focus this upon me. So um, Taylor's going to come and read some verses of Scripture, and I'm going to ask some questions for us to do some self-evaluation. Do I live in love? Do I live in light? And let's just see what God's Word says And then let's ask some questions about how am I doing with that? Well, let's look at that first passage of Scripture, and it's found in the book of Matthew, and it's chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. And then the questions will actually be up on the screen. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And leave us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Is there anyone against whom I hold a grudge? Anyone I haven't forgiven? Anyone that I hate? Anyone I dislike to hear praised or well-spoken of? Am I bitter? Resentful? Jealous? Do I allow anything to justify a wrong attitude towards another? Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Have I failed to seek the lost for Jesus? Have I failed to witness consistently with my mouth for him? Do my friends know that I'm a Christian? When's the last time that I befriended someone in order to share Christ? Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Have I robbed God by withholding his time, his talent, his money? Have I given less than a tenth of any monies I receive for God's work? Do I give regularly at church? Do I help people who are in need? Do I overlook the poor? 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Am I careless in any way with my body? Do I care for my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do I overeat, undereat, binge eat, purge? Do I use illegal drugs? Do I push the limit sexually? Ephesians four twenty eight. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do I cheat? Do I steal? Am I really honest? Do I owe someone money and refuse to pay it back? Do I shoplift? Do I borrow things without permission? Am I generous 
with my possessions. Ephesians 5, verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do I listen to music or watch TV or movies or play video games that glorify sex or violence? Do I go to the wrong kinds of chat rooms? Am I wasting my time with too much TV or gaming or time on the computer or... Philippians 1, 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Am I taken up with the cares of this life? Is my conversation or heart joy over things rather than the Lord and his word? Does anything mean more to me than living for and pleasing Christ? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Do I have any personal habits that are not pure? Do I allow impure thoughts about another person to stay in my mind? Do I view what suggests impure or unholy things? James one twenty seven. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Have I allowed myself to be stained by the world, spotted by the world? Is the way I dress pleasing to God? Do I neglect to pray about the things that I buy? Last verse, James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do I feel like I'm doing quite well as a Christian? That I'm not so bad and God's lucky to have me? That I'm good enough? Do I insist on having my own way? If people don't notice me, do I get hurt? Is life about me? As I was preparing for this message, I came across some things in my own personal life that needed to be confessed to the Lord, made right, changed in my attitude and my behavior. I'm going to ask you today to do something if you believe the Spirit of God has convicted you in a certain area, a certain way. We do this at Urban Hope. It's very simple, but it is a way of putting a stake in the ground. If there's at least one area of your life that you're looking at and you're saying, that needs to be different. I need to confess it to God. I repent. I change the way that I'm living. Then when I count to three, I want you to stand. Now, again, this is not guilting people into this or that. It's understanding that God has a relationship with us because he loved us first. We respond to that love, and then we are called by Ephesians 5 to live a certain way in response to that love. It's called living in light. And if there are areas in your life and mine that don't measure up, then he's saying, I want you to live a certain way because there's joy in that relationship again, and it's an incredible example to the world that desperately needs to know Jesus. So on the count of three, I'm just going to ask that you stand, and then we're going to applaud and thank the Lord for what God is doing in your heart. You ready? One, two, three. Please stand. Amen. Thank you. Let's thank the Lord for what he's doing in your heart, in my heart. You bet. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I would like to next think about this concept. So what happens if all of us as believers live in love and live in light? What would that look like? I wrote down a couple things of what it might look like. I think needs would be met here and around the world. I think there'd be incredible joy whenever we verbalize our faith. I think there'd be short accounts when it comes to sin. People would come to know Jesus as their Savior. People would grow to love Jesus more and more as they study and they learn him. 
think we would live in peace, and I think that we would live at peace. If you want further counsel for follow-up of some of these things, I know that the pastoral staff and the elders here would love nothing more than to walk you through what that looks like. But it starts with confession and repentance and saying, Lord, I want your spirit to work. It's not by me pulling up myself by my own bootstraps. It's asking the God of the universe through the power of his spirit to help us to have a mindset to live in a way that glorifies him. It's living in love and living in light. Let's pray together and thank him for his word and for the relationship that we can have because he first loved us. God, we are grateful for you. You are a great God, and to think that you as the God of the universe would reach down and love us is an incredible thing. And we pray, God, as we look at your scriptures, that we would be individuals who live a life of love, that we would live in light so that that relationship with you might grow, it might be deepened, that there might be people who see us that don't yet know Jesus that would say, wow, that is someone who knows God. Father, help us never to be fooled to think that we can live this way on our own. It doesn't work that way at all. It's through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, working in our lives. And God, I thank you for those that have uh, responded to his healing this morning. And I pray as we go from this place that we truly would, God, live in love and live in light. There is a world that desperately needs to know you. Help us to be those examples. May we experience that joy as we live in such a way. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.